welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, Ethan Kitten. I'm Mariah Rose. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to a podcast about the 80s. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, here's the party. Wow. Hi. If not, you're coming back. Thanks for sticking around. This week was something special and different. We've been doing these deep dives on pop culture of the 80s Mm -hmm. since the new year. And we haven't done just a straight up old school movie episode. So we thought, well, you know what? It'd be fun. But instead of just picking something, we did a a battle royale contest on Mm -hmm. our Instagram page. So thank you to everybody who participated. There were some surprises, honestly. I I thought a couple would, would go to the final round, but the final contenders were Alien Warrior, mm-hmm. a, a movie I love, and... Have I seen Alien Warrior? No, not yet. Okay. And a, a staple in this household, a, a longtime classic, Motel Hell. Yep. Um, I'm a little disappointed. What? <laughs> Shut your filthy mouth, you elitist. But we'll do Alien Warrior some other time, for sure. This week is dedicated to the people who voted for that one. And for people who voted for other stuff. It's okay. No, in all honesty, I really love this movie. I wouldn't have put a movie in the tournament that I didn't want to talk about, so it was really Mm win-win for us. But... Boy, Alien Warrior would have really been pretty sweet, too. This is awesome. This is one of the first ones I got to show you. Yes, this is really great. So, like I mentioned, we're doing Motel Hell 1980. One after another, they come. Never hearing those sounds from the secret garden. Never suspecting they will soon be making those sounds. One after another they check in and pray for the day they can check out. Motel Hell. Coming October 31st from United Artists. Just in time for Halloween. All right, well, you just kind of briefly touched on it, but when was the first time you saw Motel Hell? Because this, for the Laser Graves household, this is like a top-shelf classic for us. Core material. Yeah. Yeah, so when we first started dating 100 years ago... I remember that. Back then, um, we were showing each other things. Like, you would show me... Your favorite independent horror. This was my ace. I was ready to play this card and impress you. Yeah, you acted like a total ace hole when you played it. <laughs> and unlike Shania Twain, it impressed you much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you have Motel Hell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. I I think I was maybe 15. It's one of the very first like indie film or not indie but yeah it was a major production oh you know those weird obscure horrors that you find and you're like ooh, and you watch it and you're like this is this is a weird one for sure motel hell for me has become i and this is no joke i think of it as like friday the 13th and all that i know those have franchises 
but I think of like motel being motel hell being as common as those. No. And I'm always a little surprised. Well, I mean, I think because the people that I mainly talk to are all like really hardcore horror buffs and this one is is a pretty standard classic. Yeah. So it's always a surprise to me when somebody hasn't seen it. I, I don't know. Um, hmm. But I think that you dwell in a dark land and most people have never heard of it. If you go to the grocery store and you're like, Motel Hell, and you just shout it over the loudspeaker, anybody who's seen Motel Hell, come to the front. It will be me. And that's it. <laughs> and that weird guy who oh, wipes yeah. his boogers on his trench coat. But, Aww. you know, the two of us will hang out with him. If that's you. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Subscribe to Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I know what you're saying. And with the major franchises, of course, there's more films that's been around longer. There's merchandise and all that. But I, I do feel like there are classics, especially in our house. And Motel Hell is definitely a classic. Yeah. Also, you said franchise. And now I really, like, so desperately want their, I want to go back in time. Because I don't want it to be a 21st century thing. I want to go time travel and go back in time and franchise this. Okay, that's all you were wanting to say was you wanted a sequel to this? A sequels. <laughs> oh, multiple, like like eight wrong turns? Yes, please. Okay. Well. I watch them all. They'll get worse and worse. It's like a photocopy of a photocopy into oblivion until you're just looking at a white page. Okay, cool. Well, start working on that. No, I don't think I will. But until that happens, we mm -hmm. could actually talk about how this film got made. Eh, okay. <laughs> this film started, the the bodies had been planted back in, <laughs> in the garden, the secret garden, back in 1978 by two brothers, Robert and Stephen Charles Jaff. I think it's Jaff. There's an E at the end, but there's no accent goose, so I don't think it's Jaff A. Are they French? No, they're not. They're American. Maybe I think it's, it's just Jaff, right? Maybe it's Haffy. It's not Haffy. Let's call him Haffy. <laughs> okay, well, anyway. Each brother is one Haffy of the other. Okay, I will go with that. Okay. The Haffies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, these brothers, Robert and Stephen Charles, I think it's Jaff. J-Dog. It's not J-Dog, and there's two of them. J-Dogs. J-Dogs, okay. Well, anyway, the J-Dogs, they were the sons of a producer yeah. named Herb. Herb they, Jaff. Hold on. They were produced by a producer, Meta. Oh, that is Meta. And <laughs> and their dad produced this film. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> or Keanu would say. Whoa. The script was developed, the original script, was developed by these brothers and was pitched to Universal Studios with none other than Toby Hooper signing on to direct it, which was a really big deal because he had done Texas Chainsaw Massacre and he had done Eaten Alive. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Are you mispronouncing Tobe? <laughs> okay. okay. Well, this would have been the third cannibal film in a row he was doing, but... They pitched it to Universal Studios. The thing about the original script is it is not what you see in Motel Hell. It was a little bit more... There was some some questionable material in there. A bit mm -hmm. more raunchy, a little bit more immature with the sense of humor. Hmm. And they were not fans. Universal Studios said, no way. Are we making that? And as soon as they 
closed the door. Toby Hooper said, well, good luck, guys. And walked off and made Salem's Lot, which was not a bad decision because that's a pretty, pretty awesome choice. Yep. So the brothers didn't know what to do. They kept pitching it, though, and eventually they got a deal with MGM and MGM agreed to do it. They needed a director to come in. And the way we got our director for this was kind of just by chance. Oh. The director was a British guy named Kevin Connor. All right. And he had just moved to America in 1980 to try and make it because he had already done quite a few films in England. He was doing pretty well for himself. He did The Land That Time Forgot and uh, another cool one, Warlords of the Deep, a couple others. But he was like, it's time to, to actually make the leap, take mm-hmm. my my chances and go to America. So he moved here and uh, things were not going well. He wasn't getting any any that. calls. And somebody overheard, knew that he was looking for work, introduced him to the brothers. And what he ended up doing was actually showing them, he was carrying around a 35 millimeter print of his very first horror, which was called From Beyond the Grave. And he showed it to the brothers and they were like, oh, this is great. How about you take our script take it home and read it i uh, listened to a, an interview with him all right it was pretty funny because he said the very first page like the way it opens up it was pretty nasty it also involved bestiality and he mm-hmm. said i'm this is not the kind of film i came to america to make oh gosh yeah and, poor british guy. i know He's and like, he was uh... like ready to pack it in right there but instead he went back to the brothers and he said look how about we cut out all the kind of immature sense of humor and the nastiness, all these jokes and stuff. He's like, you guys suck. It was basically like, how about we kind of elevate it a little bit and make it more satirical, make it much more of a dark humor mm-hmm. and and cut this stuff out. And they actually said, yeah, sure. So the final cut that we do know now is Motel Hell really is his input going over and finessing the script mm-hmm. to make it maybe, I wouldn't say elevated but it, uh, no. but it was maybe a little smarter than it originally was intended to be. Yeah, this is no highfalutin movie. <laughs> no, but it did turn out pretty awesome. So with that updated script, they got a... I mean, I was kind of shocked by this, honestly. An impressive $3 million to make this film, which is a lot of money for a low-budget horror. Mm-hmm. Especially in 1980. And That's they, $20 million today. That is $4 billion, I think, with inflation. Oh, right, 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 right. They got five weeks to shoot it, and we're off to the races with Motel Hell. That's how it came to be, and that's how we got our crew together. Absolutely. And this movie just doesn't hold back. Like, they finally got the green light, and they were ready to go. It begins in a motel. (laughs) I know this is going to come as a shock to you if you haven't seen it. (laughs) Yeah. This is about a motel, but it is also... Very importantly, a smoked meat business Mm -hmm. run by Farmer Vincent, who is played by Rory Calhoun. (laughs) Rory Calhoun! (laughs) Wasn't there an SNL skit about Calhoun? Yes. Running for office? (laughs) He is old school Hollywood. Like, Oh my gosh. Pause this. Look that guy up. Holy guacamole. Because his picture is, as you said it, old school he worked with like lauren bacall he was on a uh, river of no Mar- return with marilyn monroe and he was like a 
1940s dreamboat. Yeah, he was really cool. And it's interesting because this was billed when it came out. Part of the production like pitch to this was this was going to be a leading role for him. The first that he had done in in years. Mm-hmm. And what's funny to somebody like me the first time I saw this is I just saw an old kind of guy... Which, he wasn't even that old. Did you see how old he was? On no, some... I didn't even think to look. He was look. only in his 50s. What? He looks like he's in his 80s. Anyway, I just saw this old guy with cool hair, and I thought it was Royal Dano from Killer Clowns from Outer Space Definitely and Ghoulies no. too. Because I just saw old guy in horror film. You're <laughs> ageist. I am, yeah. Oh they all look gosh. alike. What are you going to do when you're old? I mean, you're like knocking at the door pretty pretty close i'm gonna slick my hair back like a 50s greaser and i'm gonna get a role in a horror movie you're much older than me anyway i looked up his <laughs> his background and he worked as like a boxer and stuff like that before but he also worked as something called a cow puncher <laughs> do explain <laughs> please tell me it's literal i we're vegan. We don't want any cows I punched. I don't care. I, I you love care. animals, but I kind of want to know if he just punched cows for a living. No, it just means cowboy. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I mean, no, good. That's good. That's a good but thing. But why does he go by cow puncher over cowboy? <laughs> I don't know. Aggressive. Also, how come everybody from like the 40s was also a boxer? I, I think that's what you did. It's pretty awesome. I want to be a boxer. I kind of wonder if my grandpa was a boxer. He seems like one. He fenced for sure. Your grandpa is a mystery wrapped inside an enigma. Oh, good one, Winston Churchill. Thank you. Uh, so, where were we? River of No Return. Also, he was six foot four. What? Farmer Vincent was? Yeah, he was the same height as my giant brother. Wow, that's really tall. I have two giant brothers. One is extra giant, and he is six four. <laughs> yes, that's true. Maybe six five. I don't know. Whatever. Well, let's go back to the, our motel because we've we've gone down the Calhoun Road and we gotta r- rain our cow punching back in. <laughs> I really love the way this opens though with the motel name. Yes. In the neon lights, it's really cool. Yeah. So the name of the motel is not Motel Hell. It's Motel Hello, which is pretty cool. Honestly, I would stay at a place called Motel Hello. Would you? I don't know. I would stay at a place called Motel Hell. <laughs> I would too. Yeah, What's well, the O flickers out, and that's what reveals the name. This was really uh, very pretty cool. awesome. Yeah, you know what? It, I don't normally stay at motels because they have those open doors. Like motels have no hallway; it opens like yeah, they're to like the long-term lot. stays. No, no, they're. I think they're more like roadways, like come and go kind of situation. Oh, okay. Um, whereas hotels have like hallways. Really? That's the distinction? I believe so. I have always just thought motels were long term. Like if you couldn't afford an apartment, but you wanted to stay for weeks on end, you went to a motel. Hotel is just a single night. No. Okay. We're going to tie that one in a bow and and send it off on a Viking burial into the (laughs) sea. Shoot that (laughs) flaming arrow and let that one go. Okay. So Farmer Vincent, played by Rory Calhoun, Lives and runs this hotel meat smoking business with his sister, Ida. Oh, yeah. She is played by Nancy Parsons, who you obviously remember from Porky's. (laughs) Was she the one that grabs 
Oh, okay. Figure it out, bud. But she she had a long career. Both of them are dead now, so don't hope to meet them oh. in the future. Sorry, R.I.P. We quickly learn that Farmer Vincent and Ida are not, in fact, running a wholesome family business. Instead, Farmer Vincent's meat is coming from some questionable sources. <laughs> Let's dive right in. Farmer Vincent sets himself up on a roadway... And he's just waiting there. It's the middle of the night. And he shoots out the tires of a couple who are out for a casual nightly cruise on their motorcycle. They veer off of the road and lose consciousness. He also arrives with a a bottle, or not a bottle, what is it, like a canister of some sort of gas? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> and helps them lose consciousness because the wreck didn't fully do it, I guess. I really love that he he's just got time on his hands to be able to come up with clever ways to capture people traveling down the road. We'll get to it later, but he does say he likes that it it gives him some creative freedom. And this is part of where you see that dark undertone, which was very conscious. This is keep in mind this is a comedy. This was billed as a comedy. Like, oh yeah. And I think that that's really funny because it's not slapsticky like student bodies or something that would have been close around the same time it's more subtle it's definitely more dark humor Mm -hmm. and it's also got this really great mix of satire of horror films of the time yeah so doing these kinds of things really play to a a great effect and i think that that's part of the genius of motel hell that kind of gets overlooked if you're not aware that this was the point of the film was to be a satire, yeah. then I could see people getting a little confused. But if you know that, it's just even, it's just really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I agree. I think that dark humor sneaks up on people and it either makes them uncomfortable or makes them go, I'm home. Yeah. After Farmer Vincent has knocked out this couple out for an evening joyride, he comes up to them and sees that the woman who was on the back of the bike is in fact a babe. (laughs) Yeah, conveniently. Yeah, but he takes her boyfriend Bo and puts him in the secret garden and don't worry, we'll get to that in a bit. But he sees his babe, Terry, who is played by Nina Axelrod, and she's really the secondary star of this. She's in Critters 3 and 4, Fright Night 2, Remote Control, and a bunch of other things. Ah, so things that they were working on and their dad was producing. Exactly. It's who you know, people. It's who you know. Okay, he takes Terry back to his hotel, but she's unconscious. She's not aware of what's happening. The next morning, Vincent and Ida... their brother who is the sheriff who's named bruce yeah he's the younger brother he's played by paul link he's been in a whole bunch of stuff but most notably i think is chips and really breaks character here and goes as the sheriff (laughs) 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 and he arrives and meets terry who's just at that moment regaining consciousness yeah so, well, she was gassed by Farmer Vincent, so... All right. It's weirdly explained that Terry's boyfriend, whose name is Bo, mm-hmm. was killed in the accident. And Vincent's like, yeah, I buried him. 
I uh, just wanted to save the coroner the trouble. <laughs> and his brother's like, I guess that's legal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Bruce, in, Bruce is fine with that. Certain circumstances. Yeah, this is legal. And they all drive to the cemetery. There's a weird, rugged, like, junky cross stabbed into the soil. And they're like, see, look, he's he's under that. Yep. And, like, everybody dusts off their pants, wipes their hands of it. They're good to go. And Terry is like, well... I guess I live at the hotel now. <laughs> it's very true. This is a funny part of the script is that she just accepts that like, well, I guess I'm part of this family now. Got nothing to go back to without Bo. She's, I mean, she seems to her credit kind of sad that Bo's gone. But yeah, at first. She's ready to go forward. And then Sheriff Bruce, who sees Terry's hot, he looks at her. He's like, fine chick. Let's go on a date. He takes her and his police cruiser up to, like, Makeout Hill, flips on the lights, and is like, everybody go! And all these weird, like, naked teenagers run away, (laughs) or drive away, and they have their hillside to themselves, and then he's like, check it out! And he gives Terry binoculars, he sets the police cruiser's, like, I don't know, what is it, a radio to whatever is playing at the drive-in and he's like check it out we're at the drive-in for free now i thought it was really clever that would be so rad if you were between the ages of 14 and 22 he's Uh 100 years old she looks like she's probably 21 so this would have impressed her okay that's fair that's fair and if this super romantic date can't get any better Bruce is like, guess what? I'm going to bust a move. Terry says, no, thank you, sir. And he says, sorry, rape's going to happen now. (laughs) He pulls down a calendar and says, it's 1980. This is totally acceptable in cinema. Yeah, yeah. And she says, no, no. Oh, he starts to force himself upon her. Yes. When a little um, bleep over the radar comes in and somebody is screaming for help. So... Thankfully, Terry's sexual assault is interrupted at this point, and they have to take out and take off in pursuit of a scanner call for help. Turns out that while Terry was away, Farmer Vincent had some business to attend to. <laughs> so he and his sister Ida were busy. They went off to his special spot in the road, and they set up some wooden cows. <laughs> This is this is one of my favorite tricks that he does. Whoops, surprise. <laughs> it's just like a cutout of a cow. And it, it's like a prop that you would use in a stage play with a backing on it. And it just, it makes me laugh. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, so the car pulls up and he, one thing leads to an, another. You can watch the movie, but he has two <laughs> new victims And another group of victims have their tires blown by bear traps. Remember, Farmer Vincent is an artist. He's going to get creative. (laughs) This group that gets the bear trap group is the best because it's a band. A band called Ivan and the Terribles. Yes. Oh, so great. They're like in a cool van, drumming, like partying in the back. Bear traps blown. They're captured. One of those is Cliff from Cheers. Yeah, it sure is. And this is pre-house too. Ratzenberger. That's that's his last name. I don't remember his first name, but Rats. 
and Berger is his last name. Okay. I didn't know that. I don't know his real name. It's not spelled like rats in a burger, but that's exactly (laughs) what I think when I hear it. Anyway, you'll recognize him. Ivan and the Terribles are captured. And now you're going to yourself, what's Farmer Vincent doing with all these people? We don't know. We have a pretty good idea. Well, I'll tell you what he's doing. He takes them to his secret garden. He cuts their vocal cords. And honestly, for a long time, I believed he was doing surgery on them (laughs) to not just cut their vocal cords, but I thought he was taking pig voice boxes and implanting them in the people because for some reason, all of these vocal cord cut humans sound like pigs. Yeah, they sound like this. But apparently that's what they think happens when you cut the voice box of a human. I don't know. Maybe maybe you sound like a pig. I, you know, even though this is a comedy horror, this is probably one of my favorite elements of this film is the way they're buried in the ground with a bag over their head. Yeah. Not only is it pretty iconic, but it's actually really creepy when you think about it. So creepy. Yes. So Vincent and Ida bury them up to their necks and just leave them in heavily compacted soil. Think about that. Like, if it's really hard packed, you couldn't get out. You'd mm-hmm. just lay there or stand there, I guess. And- yeah, and they just put like a, a weird burlap sack over their head totally and it's all covered like they they have a secret garden there's a wall of foliage around them (laughs) so you can't see them you can't hear them screaming if you hear any sound you're gonna think there's pigs on the other side of it yeah so it's it's a perfect plan also the lighting's really cool in this there's this cool you know pinks and blues and purples and stuff like that starting to give early indications of where we're going in the 80s with lighting Mm -hmm. but i thought overall the film looks really great we have the vhs copy which is dark like every vhs copy Mm -hmm. But we also watched the the digital version, which was the Blu-ray scan, mm-hmm. and it looks really nice, cleaned up. And I just thought that it's so beautiful, and it got me thinking about the cinematography of it all. And I thought, you know, maybe right now is a good time to just break and discuss the cinematographer, because part of this film that I think works in so many ways is that even though the script is silly and the the whole entire premise is supposed to be this satirical dry humor, it looks good. I think the director is a very competent director. We'll even get to the soundtrack later. So there, and then the the main actors are seasoned actors. So th- it really does have all the foundations to be a very solid film, and I yeah. think that's why it works. I was surprised that the cinematographer, his name's Thomas Del Ruth. This was his very first film. Hmm. So this was his his first feature. His big break. But he clearly had a gift for what he was doing. And I was not surprised when I looked at what he went on to do. What did he do? A ton of stuff. But I'll just mention a couple because okay. I was very surprised by this. So the guy who shot Motel Hell, and this is classic case of you get your start in horror and then you you move on. He went on to do... Something we've covered in the past, a film we love, Get Crazy. Get crazy! Go listen to that episode. But he also went on to do The Breakfast Club, Stand By Me, The Running Man, and then this one I held just for you because it's a personal favorite of yours. What? The Mighty Ducks. What? It's true. (laughs) Quack. 
quack, quack, quack. <laughs> I think I've seen Mighty Ducks more than Motel Hell. <laughs> anyway, I thought he did a really good job. I, I, there are a lot of shots in this film that are actually really cool shots. So we've got a good cinematographer. We've got a farmer who is burying hapless victims up to their necks until they're ready to be harvested. Vincent reveals that he's planning to bring Terry into the business, like, gradually to his sister Ida. And she's jealous and invites Terry to go swimming. Yes. And tries to drown her. Yeah, that's pretty funny, too. She's just about to succeed, but Vincent rescues her again. And so, twice rescued by Vincent, Terry obviously falls into the love zone with Farmer Vincent. This is so absurd. It's so it's ridiculous. Although, Terry's like pretty much like, cool, whatever. Yeah, it's true. But she really throws herself at him and is like, take me now. And he says, you know, we got to get married first. And he, the yeah, whole scene plays out very funny because it's so unbelievable. And it's so over the top. Like, you can tell they're just making fun of... These kind of tropes in horror films. Yes. And then I suppose we should say uh, Wolfman Jack is also in this. Yeah, really not needed. No, I, I don't know how to even talk about him. He's in this. Watch it. You'll see. Whatever. Sheriff Bruce finds out about this uh, marriage that's going to happen between um, Terry and Vincent and he wants to intervene because obviously he has claimed Terry, doesn't care that she has outright rejected him. <laughs> He's going to go and intervene. But Vincent like grabs a shotgun and chases his brother away. Next up, it's time for a harvest. Terry is in no way prepared for that. So Ida and Vincent drug her so that they can harvest some more meat for, the, for their jerky. <laughs> We get a little glimpse into their process. So they go back to their secret garden. Remember, Terry is unconscious, blissfully unaware. They use some flashing lights. They go to Ivan and the Terribles, the three guys. There's a chick also, but she's fine. Don't worry about her. She survives. (laughs) The three guys from Ivan and the Terribles, they have like, it's like a spiral and some flashing lights. And they talk about how they're going to have this like, wild out of this world trip (laughs) and then they put nooses around them and use the tractor to break their necks and also pull their bodies out of the soil yeah so they can then harvest their meat yep little do they realize that they have also loosened the dirt around nearby Bo. remember Bo was terry's boyfriend right who she thought was buried but he wasn't buried well he was up to his neck just not in the thought she or in the spot she thought so they don't know that this has happened but they take their victims to the slaughterhouse for processing meanwhile Bo is making an escape now let's not count bruce out here bruce, bruce the brother yes he absolutely as we have learned cannot take no for an answer <laughs> yeah. Not from his brother, not from Terry, and he's certainly not going to start now. So he comes back to the motel to rescue Terry because somehow he's finally been able to figure out that his siblings are harvesting human meat. It doesn't make much sense, but whatever. He's there to rescue Terry. Terry somehow suddenly is like, oh, okay. And Ida catches them 
and she knocks out Bruce and takes Terry to the slaughterhouse where Vincent's like, I wanted to tell you in my own way, in (laughs) my own time. This is weird, but Bo, at this moment, chooses to crash through the roof of the slaughterhouse. (laughs) Well, he's like crawling around and looking, and he looks in, and then it gives out, Mm -hmm. and he falls in. Speaking of which, the slaughterhouse set is really cool. It is. I actually like all the locations. The, The main hotel and everything was filmed at... Sable Ranch in Santa Clarita, California, which was the the site of like hundreds of movies. Yeah. But all the interiors, so the slaughterhouse and inside the hotel and stuff, those were all on a soundstage. But I thought that that was really cool set design and everything because it's very believable. And it's probably another thing that I really love about this film are are the sets are just really cool. Oh, they're fantastic. Absolutely. So Bo, Bo crashes through this amazing set. And falls down in front of Vincent, where he was very easily killed. He's been buried in the ground for days, being fed, like, gruel through a tube. (laughs) Yeah. He should have, like, just chilled out for 24 hours, had a good meal, like, taken a shower, and then just come back. rescue his girl. With police. Well, yeah, maybe that would be a better idea. I mean, it seems like a solid plan, but instead he weakly climbed onto a roof and is killed by Vincent. And Vincent has, as I said, just revealed to Terry, like, whoopsies, forgot to tell you, human meat also. (laughs) Like, human and pig, whatever. And she's not really into it. And (laughs) Surprise. Well, I don't know. Is that an obvious thing? Because Terry is really go with the flow so far. That's true. It was kind of like a roll of the dice. Like, maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe Terry's into it. I could see where <laughs> Farmer Vincent was like, let's just see. Yeah, let's take this to to unknown places and hope for the best. Yeah, but Ida, meanwhile, has become bored by this. So she goes back to the house to grab something to eat. But she is over overcome by victims who find her between the slaughterhouse and her house. Then they knock her out. Yes. Let's go back to Vincent. He is bummed that Terry... Doesn't want to join in his family business. And he's like, well, Cool Bean's going to process you for meat. And he, um, I, I think maybe he's just trying not to make this whole experience a total loss. So he's <laughs> like, well, I'll get some cash for your bod. And he ties her down. Sheriff Bruce, who has been knocked out but is not dead, our would-be rapist hero comes in at the last second he wakes up after being knocked out grabs a shotgun and runs to the slaughterhouse and you'd think cool sheriff with a shotgun blast away no he is easily overwhelmed by vincent who has now decided inexplicably to pop a pig head (laughs) on his own head and don a a chainsaw this is a really smart move though and this came later in the production this wasn't written in originally really yeah well the battle especially wasn't written in this was kind of thought up on the spot which is funny because i would say it's the most memorable iconic yeah part of this whole entire movie also the music here is really incredible the score is um better than it should be i'll say that yeah it's it's really good this guy lance rubin did it he did a happy birthday to me. And then interestingly, a bunch of episodes of King of the Hill, which I thought was funny. Okay. But no, he's like a Random. seasoned veteran, did a ton of TV. But 
it's a really solid score too. But yeah, Vincent comes out in this crazy getup, which is awesome. I mean, if you've seen any stills from Motel Hell, this is, you know what we're talking about right now. Absolutely. And you know what? Remember, Vincent is, in fact, an artist. (laughs) So the pig head maybe makes sense. I don't know. He easily gets the shotgun away from his brother, Bruce. And now Bruce grabs a chainsaw. So we got a chainsaw battle. And somehow the conveyor belt that Terry is tied to is also tripped. So we've got this element of drama, like beautiful woman on the... uh, on the railroad tracks kind of situation. She's only got a few moments before she is cut by a blade or whatever. It reminds me of the end of uh, Cutting Class. Remember that? The way Jill is strapped down like that, too, while they're fighting. Kind of have a similar feel. We we have an episode on that, too. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great movie. (laughs) Bruce finally gets in one good chainsaw swipe, and frankly, that's all you need. Yeah. One good swipe with a chainsaw. Well, he jams it into his side. Yep. Man, that would suck. I definitely don't want to ever be near touched by a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. Just don't. And meanwhile, uh, Bruce like goes over, frees Terry, and they go back to Vincent, who has a chainsaw in his side. They take off his his pig helmet. Yeah, who, and he's got really nice clean hair. Yeah. I thought it was going to be all slicked back with gross, you know, insides, yeah. but apparently he's really smoothed it out yeah i don't know i don't have an answer to that it's a riddle but finally uh he reveals in his dying words that he's been living a lie and i forgot what it was yeah i thought he was gonna say he was a vegetarian no instead he says this i eat i i used which is such a well-placed joke like it really lands well at the end absolutely and then the movie ends with the sign saying motel hello with the o blinking it finally short circuits like permanently darkening darkening the o and then the sign explodes which is super cool it is it's really it is a great ending we also get a really funny song at the end too but it's a solid film that's very easy to follow. It's short, you know. Well, it's I mean a normal paced film, yeah. but the acts move along really well. It's just a classic. And honestly, films from the very early '80s are really hit and miss. There aren't a lot of oh yeah really great films from especially 1980 that you can kind of just watch over and over again. They, they get a little long sometimes. They get a little boring or dry or they don't hold up. I mean, Friday the 13th Part 1 would be a good one or probably one of my favorite films, uh, Fade to Black, came out that same year too. Mm-hmm. Those those are great, but this is one of those is that it has a lot of rewatchability that isn't maybe found as much in the really, really early 80s stuff. Yeah, I've, I've watched this many times and it's always fun. Yeah, it's great. And it... You know, when it came out, I guess there would probably be that question of um, what did we just see? Because it was it was a horror film, uh-huh. but it was also this dry humor. And keep in mind, I don't think people realize this. Satirical horror and comedy horror was a new thing. This wasn't in this way. This was breaking new ground. I mean, like I mentioned student bodies earlier. 
these were just now starting to come out and be self-aware. So the the reception was very mixed. However, you know, it had a $3 million budget. I actually found out they opened on 757 theaters. I've always wondered how huh. big of a release they get. Small. It was released on October 18th, 1980. But it grossed uh, two mil on the opening weekend. And oh. yeah, by the time it was done, it was up at six. So little it did over. well. Yeah, yeah, it did really well. Yeah, it was actually... Double a, your money. Yeah, it was a successful film. And overall, it, it did, you know, even... Ebert loved it. He loved the really? the satire of it. He gave it three stars, and he thought it was great. And okay. he said it was something that had been missing in horror was humor. And because, as we know, especially horror fans know this, and people like Joe Bob talk about this too, that have jokes. You have to have humor and and horror often go hand in hand. Yes, and there are the same kind of crowds are drawn to comedy that are drawn to horror for some reason. No, it makes perfect sense, though, because when you have horror, you need a release because the horror is so horrible. Like, think about torture porn. It's just so much, and then you feel awful. Yeah. You're like, oh, I just watched horrible, and now I feel horrible. But this, it's like, ooh, ha <laughs> ooh. And maybe at the end you are like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. But it, it gives you breaks. It gives you like little islands to land on. Well, but you have to be very careful because I think comedy horror is a very difficult genre to work in. And that's um, delicate to be able to pull that off really well. And I think it often fails. But when it does work... It's great. I think it's a perfect combination. And it's also interesting that, yes, this is a horror film and there's a lot of horror to it. But Kevin Connor, the director, was a big fan of Alfred Hitchcock. And he liked that approach of implying horror more than showing the actual horror. And it's true. If you think about Motel Hell, even though there are body parts and there's all this stuff, the actual graphic nature of, you know, slitting throats and stuff like that you don't see it it's just implied you know it's happening Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because he was also influenced by of course toby hooper who did texas chainsaw massacre which is a very notorious film for thinking that it's incredibly graphic but it's not a lot of it cuts away and it's just your mind is filling in the blanks which is worse and scarier why i mention this is the legacy of of Motel Hell is interesting because he was inspired by Toby Hooper and Hitchcock. It comes out. And when you think about the subject matter and the tone, a lot of people drew the conclusion and still do today that with the dark humor, with the entire plot of, you know, cooking people and selling their meat, you know, barbecuing their meat. Mm -hmm. And especially because of the ending with a chainsaw battle, that this actually inspired Toby Hooper to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, which is all of those elements right there. And if there was an argument for it, of course he was aware of this film. Absolutely. Because he was supposed to direct it originally. Right. So I think that's actually really cool. And I don't think it's a stretch. I do think that that's probably true. And I love that it came full circle. And it is this kind of interesting little sub-story about horror history and how they influence each other. Yeah. 
Well, in England, the film was actually originally given an X rating. Really? Yes, but... I was a video nasty, huh? Well, not really. All they had to do was, like, cut down a two-second chainsaw wound scene. Oh, really? Yeah, that was it. Okay. So, X, I think, in England is different than here. Because <laughs> X here is the X in sex. Yeah. But because, obviously, anybody who is over 18 has no idea what that is. But uh, in England, I think it was more about the gore. That is interesting because in America, you can have people just cut to pieces and it's an R rating but if you have somebody's like genitals shown, it's an immediate X rating. Isn't it's that, really weird. What is wrong with our country? <laughs> the natural thing that most humans do, disgusting, yeah. let's bar it. And then the unnatural thing that is very much against all humanity. Yeah, it's that's, fine. that's cool. Let's yeah. let our kids see it. PG 13. You can keep in all the violence, but you got to cut that nudity out. America is backwards. But I actually have to get us to this week's fun fact. I've stolen Ooh, it from you. Awesome. So this film was actually inspired by real events. Really? Yeah. Well,. Fast and loose, but yes. I'm dying to hear this because in that interview that I heard with the director, uh-huh. they asked him, was this an original idea or was this inspired by true events? And he, he, uh, I didn't see this one coming. He said, I never thought to ask them where they got this idea. He just <laughs> read the script, made some corrections, directed the movie and moved on with his career. Well, I mean, can you imagine reading the script and thinking there was any like touch of realism in it? I guess. Oh, I'm dying to know. Okay. All right. So the film was actually inspired by a serial killer named Carl Denke or Donka. He's... Well, he was born in Prussia, but now Poland. I don't know how you pronounce his name. D- so you're not Donka Shore? I'm not Donka Shore. But, <laughs> but he would murder transient people, like people who had transient lives, travelers, just people who didn't have any roots, so there wouldn't be like a link directly to him. And his active period was from 1903 to 1923. But his final victim was somebody who escaped after being attacked with a pickaxe. And authorities arrived on scene. So this dude was hit in the head with a pickaxe and escaped. The police came because he's like, "Uh, (laughs) P.S. Donka hit me with a pickaxe. They go to his house And they found that he kept a ledger of his victims. Okay. He is actually known as the forgotten cannibal because nobody ever hears about him. But he had at least 31 names in his ledger. Really? The last one being the guy who survived. So he didn't kill at least that guy. So 30 possible victims. And then authorities began searching the premises of his house. And they found so many parts they tried to like add like do the math like Mm -hmm. how many humans can we build from these parts in your house and they think the number is more like 42 ish was he cooking them and eating them 
It is also largely believed that he <laughs> sold the flesh of his victims <gasps> really? to other people as well as eating it himself. Oh, wow. Boom. <laughs> wow. And a fun fact. Wow. Way to end it on a good one. I guess. <laughs> no, no. That was a very satisfying fun fact. Gross. It was tasty. Ew. <laughs> All right. Well, geez. Okay. That was... Uh, Motel Hell and the truth behind Motel Hell. I guess. Wow, that's interesting. I never knew that. Me either. I just found it out researching for this episode. But like the director, I never thought to ask or gave it a second thought in general. I just accepted this movie and moved on with my life. Uh Well, what do you think overall? Uh, it's a classic. I mean, I've been watching it for 20-something years. Yeah, it's definitely a classic. Totally. I think it holds up. I would say it's not a film that gets better with age or worse. It's just motel hell. Absolutely. It's You're like, right. It's just one of those films that it's you just... It's always the same. It's just that film. That's what it is. There's nothing new to discover once you have watched it, but you might watch it again and again. Yep. I agree. I really like this film. I do recommend it. If you're a horror fan and haven't seen it, yeah, why wouldn't you see it? Just for the sake of the history of horror. I think it's a must watch. It's a vertebrae and the spine of horror. Oh, nice. I guess. Yeah, that was very lofty. (laughs) I tried. Well, everybody, again, uh, thanks for playing our sudden death match and selecting this week's film this was the first time we've ever done anything like this and it was a lot of fun hopefully you enjoyed hearing about it and if you have seen it maybe this sparks you to want to rewatch it and i think it's it's worth a rewatch for sure of course if you want to follow us on instagram we're at laser graves our personal sites i'm at death at 33 rpm i'm at mariah rose wimmer You can hear our podcast anywhere and everywhere you get podcasts. But if you want to find all of our back episodes, you can find them at lasergraves.com. Of course, if you want to go that extra step and help us out, help us, you know, support this podcast. Yeah. Please feel free to join our Patreon where we do all kinds of fun extra stuff. That is at patreon.com slash lasergraves. We so, have fun stuff coming out all the time. Yep, almost every week there's something coming out. And uh, otherwise, just please support us by rating and reviewing and spreading the word. We're having a good time doing this. We appreciate all your support. And who knows what we're doing next time. Uh. But it was fun to take a break and talk about a classic this week. So we will see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.